This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Today on CityCast Madison. Happy holidays. We just passed Cyber Monday, so gift deals and steals are on the brain. But lest you have a thought, what if the cyber steal is from you? Multiple Wisconsin companies, including the giant gas station chain Quick Trip, have recently been hit by significant cyber attacks, data breaches that include their customer base. So what can businesses do to help safeguard against ransomware and other online threats? CityCast producer Dylan Brogan chats with Dave Schrader, director of research at the Wisconsin Security Research Consortium, about the recent uptick in cyber attacks. It's Tuesday, November 28th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. So Dave, thank you for joining me today. No, it's my pleasure. Okay, so let's get into a recent example uh, infecting a Wisconsin business. Quick Trip, based all across, recently confirmed it experienced a, quote, cybersecurity incident, and it impacted their production facilities, internal communication systems, and the chain's loyalty program that customers know all about. Beyond that, Quick Trip isn't really saying that much, so we can't know for sure, but could, could you run us through maybe just some scenarios of what could have happened with uh, this cybersecurity incident with Quick Trip? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you said, we don't know a lot about what happened beyond what Tr- Quick Trip has said and beyond what we've all seen in, in the press. And that is consistent with uh, a lot of these kinds of incidents. You know, the general public uh, and customers of businesses that are affected by cyber attacks often only know what the company chooses to reveal. And so here, you know, early on, there were a lot of inferences that uh, there was something going on because the rewards and, and the, the Quick Trip point system was down and, and Quick Trip announced that it was dealing with some type of, uh, of, of an IT incident that it ultimately admitted was a cybersecurity incident. So what could have happened here? Usually, there's some type of uh, a vector by which an attacker gets access to a company. Now, I'm not saying what happened to Quick Trip here because I because I don't know, but a lot of times it is something like uh, an employee is targeted via a phishing email and they click a malicious link and the attacker gets in that way. Or sometimes attackers do find a vulnerability, a technical vulnerability in um, either a uh, company's network or sometimes a third-party vendor. That's a common way that attackers might get that initial access. And then they usually move around in the organization and see what they can get a hold of that might be valuable um, or see what they can shut down. Is the goal usually like this ransomware attack that we, we hear about where a company is asked to pay to get data back or to get control of their system back? Yeah. Um, Ransomware is a very common tactic, and it usually looks like 
whatever systems that have been impacted either become unavailable or are inaccessible. And there's some way that the attackers get a message, you know, either via a pop-up literally on the screen that someone might be looking at that says, your files are encrypted. There'll be some contact mechanism, um, some anonymous chat or an email address or some way that you're supposed to then reach out to the attacker and negotiate uh, essentially for access to your systems back, either via paying money. And sometimes if you're the victim organization, you know, you're literally, you know, bartering with someone or trying to maybe reduce the ransom or um, maybe you've got good backups. Maybe you have good internal systems that you're going to say, you know what, we're not going to negotiate with, with these attackers. So we're going to recover on our own. But that can take some time. So, you know, these attacks can be really disruptive to the company and to the customers of, of these organizations, you know, if, if they're uh, retailers like QuickTrip. Yeah. And do, I mean, do companies actually pay these ransoms? Sometimes they do. And, and that's something that's really controversial because uh, like, like any type of a ransom situation, it can encourage repeat offenders, essentially. Um, hey, you know, we, we, we get people to pay the ransom. Um, other actors see that it's successful. Then you have copycat attacks and you have networks of uh, ransomware groups that do nothing but uh, you know, go after organizations and try to get money. You know, Quick Trip has this like robust loyalty program. And, you know, part of it is that they're collecting data on these customers that's valuable. I mean, what should consumers be worried about? Um, sometimes credit cards and stuff are attached to these accounts. Yeah. So, again, just kind of speaking in um, general uh, here, there could be, you know, all sorts of personal information that are held by companies that interact with, uh, with, with customers who are ostensibly buying things from them. And, and QuickTrip is no different. Now, QuickTrip um, has said that uh, customer financial account information or, or credit cards or debit card numbers are not a part of this attack. But that doesn't mean that there might not be other information that is uh, personally identifiable information about someone that, that was potentially compromised. So again, I want to make it clear that I'm not saying that that information has or hasn't been compromised in the context of Quick Trip, but that's the type of information that's typically out there. You know, any information that's held by a business about its customers could be uh, potentially breached in, in attacks like these. That's why these types of organizations, whether it's a healthcare organization or uh, something like QuickTrip, are valuable targets because the attackers understand that um, you know, these organizations have a hard time operating when they don't have access to this data and that when the data is uh, personal information um, and that's under threat, you know, that's another motivator for the business uh, or whatever the organization is to resolve the situation. Yeah. Um, so American Family, we also heard news that they confirmed a recent cybersecurity incident. Do we have any information about what happened there? Well, we have some information. We know that unusual activity was detected within its network. We know that there were significant outages that impacted a lot of the customer-facing services of American family. So things like making payments online or accessing uh, services via the app. And uh, we don't know exactly, again, what types of information might have been exposed to, to the attackers. You know, typically this information is revealed when the, the company 
either you know issues a public notice about what's been impacted or communicates with customers directly. Um, sometimes it's via you know snail mail, a letter in the mail, um, and you get notified that hey, your your information was exposed. And in Wisconsin, this is something that does happen uh, pretty reliably because while the 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 laws uh, across the country are, are kind of all over the place when it comes to things like data privacy or how data is protected, Wisconsin does have a pretty robust data breach notification law that says that you know hey if if private information is is breached by any kind of organization. And there's criteria about how many records or, or people were impacted and things like that. But if it's, you know, if it's over a certain amount and something like the American family uh, incident is, is very likely going, going to fall under this, uh, they have to notify people who are impacted. Okay. So we, so we have a state law that maybe uh, gives us more information or at least customers more information than other states. Absolutely. Okay. For those listening, um, if you want to Google it, it's just kind of generally referred to as the Wisconsin data breach notification law. And you can find out the types of information that are covered under that law. It's generally things that, you know, we think of as being personally identifiable information, names, dates of birth, uh, DNA profile, oh, man, social security yeah. number, personal health information, things like that. Okay, well, what about, um, I mean, do we know who tends to commit these cyber attacks? We do. There are a lot of, of kind of hacking groups out there. You know, some of them are named. Um, like one of the bit, most prolific ransomware operators is Lockbit. And, you know, they're just one of many. And they're not necessarily composed of, of all the same people. You know, these aren't static organizations any more than... Uh, you know, any other type of organization would be, but they are structured organizations. Um, they, they create software. They sometimes have support networks. Um, they have help desks for some of their own people who are deploying, uh, you know, malware uh, onto uh, targeted networks um, because they're, they're, they're motivated by, if they're a criminal organization, they're motivated by making money. So this is a way for them to, um, you know, essentially fund their operations and and make profit for the the people who are running the show. And in a lot of these, they tend to be foreign groups. You know, a lot of times they'll have a nexus with Russia. Some of them have a nexus with uh, with various groups operating in Africa. Some of them, the lines get pretty blurry for a lot of the Russian-speaking hacking gangs. They might also have an overlap with certain things that the, the Russian government is doing, or maybe priorities of the Russian government. And then we've seen some interesting examples with North Korea, where North Korea funds a lot of its missile development and nuclear weapons programs with things like uh, ransomware operations, stealing cryptocurrency from international cryptocurrency exchanges where they'll compromise the cryptocurrency exchange and steal tens or sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, how big of a problem is this just for Wisconsin businesses in general? I saw some sort of survey that like just 25% of 400 manufacturing businesses had that were surveyed said they had already experienced a cyber attack or a data breach. I mean, why don't we hear about this happening more? Yeah, it's it's a big problem. And, you know, to be clear, the, the entities that, you know, wind up being victims of these cyber attacks are, are just that, you know, they're victims. Uh, that doesn't mean that, 
you know, certain organizations might have issues with their cybersecurity uh, posture that maybe makes them a little bit more vulnerable to, to attacks. And certainly some organizations, depending on what business sector they're operating in, have more robust defenses or might invest more in cybersecurity. But the reality is that for a lot of smaller businesses, um, you know, that maybe don't have the, the capacity of larger organizations, you know, you almost have to plan that at some point you're going to be a victim. And keeping that in mind, it really comes down to, well, how do you respond? If you're the victim of a cyber attack, how do you respond to it? Yeah. How, uh, yeah. How do you respond? Is it preparation the way to do it? You know, it, it, it is, it's, it's kind of preparing for a disaster. Like, like a family might, you know, if, if that tornado comes, um, you know, do you have some supplies, uh, kind of in store for, uh, you know, food and water or some batteries for the flashlights and things like that. And in the case of a business that might be hit by a cyber attack, it's, you know, do you have good backups of your data? Do you have the, your data backed up in a way that the backups themselves aren't going to be compromised by an attack? And we talk about separation of duties and we talk about users in the organization not having administrative privileges. So in, if they click a really legitimate looking uh, link in a legitimate looking email and they get fished, that's usually the vector. That's usually how it happens. Something is very finely targeted at maybe even a specific person in a specific company um, because the attackers have done their research. So it's not just some generic message. It's maybe some someone who knows that Margaret's responsible for payroll at this organization and she's going to be the target because she's got privileges you know, within the payroll system. And so that's what these attackers do. So, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that phishing um, scam is how, you know, that's not exactly a, a very sophisticated cyber attack, but it works. Uh, that's essentially what happened in the Republican Party of Wisconsin. And we know this because of federal court records. So a hacker stole $2.5 million from the party by faking invoices. What else can you tell us about this? I mean, is this, um, would you consider this a sophisticated attack? So this was a a fairly sophisticated attack. They were able to get into the the email servers of the Republican Party of Wisconsin and actually changed how some of the email accounts were set up, added some filters, added some rules so that whenever certain email arrived that had words in it like uh, like invoice or bank or statement or things like that, they would get redirected to another mailbox that the attackers had access to. The attackers would then uh, modify those legitimate invoices and statements, and they would redirect to another person who is responsible for paying them within within the Republican Party organization. And because they came from what looked like a trusted uh, colleague, and also were invoices to what appeared to be, you know, organizations that they were routinely paying, but had altered, you know, financial account information in them. These things were paid, and those payments would essentially go to the scammers. And if the and if they're happening via electronic bank transfers, like a lot of uh, payments are, you know, between organizations to you know into vendors and things like that sometimes takes a while for these things to get discovered. Yeah. You know, you, you might not know for months that a vendor isn't being paid and these funds are just being redirected to attackers. 
And it's amazing that it can just disappear like that without really noticing. But it also just sort of begs the question for me, like the Republican Party of Wisconsin, that's a, a private organization. But I mean, just how worried about election security in Wisconsin are you as a cybersecurity expert? Yeah, so I'm I'm worried about election security, not just in Wisconsin, but across the country and not in the sense that people might suspect. I'm not worried about voting machines being compromised. I'm worried about the larger process. So what I'm worried about is things like um, you have attackers who like to come in and often compromise, you know, maybe the websites where voting results are disseminated, you know, unofficial results or something like that. Or you have people's Twitter accounts of like a media outlet taken over and then false information being put out about, you know, a candidate who's won or lost or something like that before, you know, the organization um, or, or Twitter or, or now X can, you know, get a hold of it and, and actually delete it or restore control to the, to the legitimate owner. It's a lot of the election interference, if you will, that we see is really intended to cause confusion, doubt, chaos around the process. And that can be enough, right? Like that's enough. That, to, can, be, that yeah. can be more than enough because if you have people doubt the legitimacy of the process, as a foreign nation state adversary actor who wants to disrupt and destabilize the United States as a country and have people doubt our elections, you don't need to change the results of, of an, you don't need to physically change voting outcomes. I mean, that would be the type of thing where if you could prove an, an adversary did that, that would be tantamount to an act of war, uh, you know, all, altering election results of something like a presidential election. They don't need to do that. Uh, they don't need to do that because they don't have to. All they need to do is make people doubt the outcome. So, okay, if there was just one thing that businesses, governments, or just your average citizen can do to to stop these threats, to stop the harm, at least with them, what what do you think that is? Awareness, number one. Awareness that these things are going on and uh it, it is honestly a lot of the kind of boring or repetitive advice that people hear about how to protect themselves. You know, it's to keep your devices, uh, your computers, your mobile phones, uh, you know, the pieces of equipment that you use on a daily basis up to date. Um, install the, secu the security updates on them. Don't ignore it. Don't keep on putting it off until tomorrow. Because those are a lot of the technical companions, if you will, to a lot of the, the human attacks, like a phishing attack, you know, you might get a phishing link and then you click that malicious link and it maybe depends on a vulnerability in Windows or a vulnerability in Android or iOS that, you know, is then required to install that malware or to get a little deeper foothold in your device. And maybe that's been patched by Apple or Google or Microsoft. And that's why you see all these security updates uh, coming out sometimes even more frequently now is because we're seeing attackers get more and more aggressive with the types of attacks they use and um, a, a greater willingness to use what we call zero-day attacks, which are attacks that aren't yet patched by the manufacturer. And, and you know, these attacks, once they're discovered and get patched, you know, then then they can't be used anymore. But if your device hasn't been updated, you know, you, you, you're still vulnerable. 
So we got to make sure to update our devices, take those things seriously. All my passwords are currently password123, so I'm going to go ahead and change those. But um, a lot of good practical advice there. We're going to have to have you on again because this is such a robust topic and something that we're probably going to be hearing a lot more about. So Dave, just thank you so much for your expertise. We really appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure. Uh, look forward to talking again. That's Dave Schrader, Director of Research at the Wisconsin Security Research Consortium. And here's what else Madison's talking about. On the issue of cybersecurity, on Sunday, a conservative outlet, Wisconsin Right Now, reported out that Governor Evers has been using an alternative state email account to discuss top-level business with cabinet appointees and others. In response, the governor's office has said that alias emails are standard digital security practice for dignitaries in their office. Wisconsin right now has requested, under open records law, thousands of emails from the past few years. And a dash of charm. Madison's holiday trolley is back! It returned this past weekend and will be up and running this Saturday and the next two Saturdays. It'll take you and fellow shoppers up and down the State Street Corridor and the Capitol Square. It's a perfect chance to support local businesses and get a little bit into the holiday spirit. Win-win. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoy the show, why not share this episode with that one friend in your life you will message when you really need tech support. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. In the meantime, consider making your password stronger. Please and thank you.